give the Lord a hand. Oh, man, what a... Uh, um, if you were looking for yourself and you weren't in there, um, if you join the men's retreat or serve, I guarantee you will have multiple pictures of you, and so um, you will be in there. But uh, we are so grateful uh, to God and uh, for each and every person here, those joining online as well. We're just grateful for our Crossway family. Uh, today I want to talk to us about God's faithfulness and our response to that truth. Um, and it's uh, the foundation and the basis of our, our message today, the text today is God is faithful. And since he is faithful, we respond. Um, this is the Christian gospel message. The anti-gospel message is, if I do one, two, and three, God might be there. God will be there. This is not a formula to manipulate God. God is faithful regardless of how we felt and what we did. And uh, when you think about the word faithful, that is a characteristic in a person that I, it's on the top of my list. More than fun, more than spontaneous, more than talented or gifted or rich or attractive or anything. It's just someone who is faithful. How important is it for you to have a, a faithful friend, right? a faithful community, a faithful spouse? Uh, faithfulness uh, includes various things. If you don't have these things, you cannot be considered faithful, right? Uh, to be faithful is, it takes time. Uh, you don't call someone a faithful friend that you just met a month or two ago. Um, a faithful spouse is not someone that's been together a, a month or two. It's years, it's time, it's proven, and then they become reliable. They become then trustworthy, and uh, when we look back on this year, think of a year ago, and you look now, it's probably a blur, right? And uh, you look back and say, oh, I wonder what it was like. And, uh, but I tell you what, God has been faithful to us. Uh, God is faithful to us. Uh, he is reliable. He is predictable. He is present. He is here with us. And so we look at how we ought to respond. You know, when we think about uh, God's faithfulness or when we think about the presence of God, a couple pieces of art here uh, kind of illustrate this for us. One here, the first one we see on the, the top of the Sistine Chapel, uh, the Michelangelo creation of Adam. You'll see it there. Um, it's, um, and uh, you see God with uh, angels reaching down to Adam, and they, uh, they're almost touching, right? And you know, a close-up of their hands here, we see God is on uh, my left, your right. Okay, right. All right, right, Adam, his hand is uh, kind of limp almost. It's like, and the, so the uh, people who have saw this and have interpreted this in various ways. One is uh, Adam's hand is lifeless, God's hand. You could put that hands back up just for a moment. And then the, God's hand is giving life. It's like a charge, right? And he's coming, reaching out and giving a charge. And some have interpreted this as Adam's hand looks like it's withdrawing away from God. God's pointer finger, it's as if God is going towards Adam. And so we see here in Michelangelo's classic piece here, a picture of maybe of God and us. Maybe we are been running away from God, God's been chasing after us. Maybe we have been weak and faithless and God is energizing us with this. Another very classic piece of art that is helpful for us in our understanding of God is the next one here. Where's Waldo, right? Um, before the internet, this is what we did, right? All of you who were born after the internet, you say, what, what, what do you do? You get a picture like this, 
And you sit in the room and you look for the little character Waldo in his uh, striped shirt and glasses. And you look and you look and your imagination. And after you find him, you say, oh, that was fun, right? That's what we used to do before the internet. Some of you are frantically looking. Some of you know where he is because you've done this before. But this piece of art for Where's Waldo tells us, it gives us this assurance. Number one, he's in here somewhere, right? Waldo's in here somewhere. I may not see him or feel him or I can't identify where he's at, but I know he's in here. And if I keep searching, maybe I, I'm sure I will eventually find him. I might give up. I might be tired and say, oh, forget it. But I know he's in there, and we could take that down. And if you were almost about to find him and you didn't, I'm so sorry. All right, so, but we think about God's faithfulness. Uh, the late uh, missionary John Patton, he was in the South Sea Islands, and he was translating the scriptures, and he was translating to the native language. And missionary John Patton came across the word faith. And he couldn't find the local the dialect, the word to describe faith. He couldn't find the word. And he talks about how he came up to translate that word faith into the, the local dialect, the local language, rather. One day, as he was working on the translation of the Bible, one of the locals uh, came running up to tell him some news. And he ran upstairs to uh, John Patton's room. And this guy was sweaty and exhausted, and he literally plopped down on his chair, and he said to the missionary, I'm so glad you have this chair where I could rest my full body on. And he said, oh, I'm tired. And right there, he said, that is the picture. That is the picture. To be able to rest myself fully, all of my weight, all of my burdens, fully on something else. It's the faith in God. Today we look at this passage here. Uh, uh, we're on Hebrews just for this Sunday. Hebrews chapter 10, the book of Hebrews, we went through it uh, years back, but this passage here is such a, a wonderful passage. What it tells us here is, this is who God is and what he has done for you. Uh, the, the whole chapter, or rather the whole book of Hebrews, is talking about Jesus Christ, the one now who has become the sacrifice for you. You don't have to go sacrifice anymore. He has become the sacrifice. And then he says here, therefore, this is now your response. This is the gospel. The gospel says, this is what God has done for you through Christ. Now live out this life. The opposite of the gospel would be, if you do A, B, and C, God might show up for you. If you say a prayer in a certain way, if you give a certain amount, if you go and go on a trip or go and sign up for this, and if you sacrifice of yourself and prove your worthiness, God might show up to you. That is the opposite of the gospel. That is religion of the day. But the God-centered gospel says, God is faithful, God is here, God loves you, He's provided a way through Christ in spite of who you are. And now this is how you can Respond. What a wonderful message that is. It says here in verse, it's interesting, verse 19 to 25 that we read, in the original language is one long sentence. It's in one thought that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand this is all part of one thing. 
God has proved himself to you faithful. This is how you respond. And it's in one long sentence. And within it, he talks about the faithfulness of God. He who is faithful, he who has promised this, is faithful. And then he, in this part, he gives us three, let us. Let us do this. Let us live this way. Let us respond in this way. And we're going to highlight those three. It's interesting, you know, in verse 19, it starts with the word, therefore. Many of us know that this is a, a word that is a, a general term, uh, generally a term for conclusion. Here is A, B, and C, therefore, right? We've all written papers for our classes, and when they say, defend your position, well, my position is, here's the evidence, A, B, and C, therefore, I am for this position. And this is the way that it is written here as well. Because even from Hebrews 1 all the way till now, because God has been faithful, he has provided a way through Christ for you to approach him. Therefore, this is how you ought to live. And he gives us now these three let us statements. Number one is let us draw near. Verse 19, it starts, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Uh, let me just pause here for a moment. Confidence, boldness, it's, it could be translated. It's the idea to be free to speak. It, it means that you are entering into the presence of someone that you shouldn't talk in front of. The king or the judge the president, someone in power, and you are going to go and approach them, and you should be in a position to listen, take commands, and go away. But he says, now you can go in and speak. For, for us here, when we think about drawing near to God, we think, well, that's nice, what's the big deal? But this, as the name of the book is written, is written to the Jewish listener, Jewish reader. Hebrews. For the Jewish person, approaching God was a fearful act. Approaching God was something you did not want to see. When you thought about God, you don't casually go up to God. You are filled with fear because if you approach him in a wrong manner, you can die. And so in the Old Testament, every year, once a year, they would have the temple, and in that temple would be the holy place, and in the inner parts would be the holy of holies. And one priest would go in and represent and ask for forgiveness and they would enter into the holy place. It was something that you weren't excited to go to. It wasn't something that you would volunteer for. It's too scary. You did not want to go. And someone else should go. But you would go sometimes. And you were supposed to go and not talk. You're supposed to just go. I remember years back there was a a uh, gathering of Asian Americans, something for Christians and, and uh, clergy at the White House. And then they said, would you, they asked me, I got an email, would you like to come? And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to the White House. I said, finally, like finally. And that maybe Medal of Honor, I don't know, you know, like I'm going to go and hang out, right? And they said, you would be coming as an observer. And I said, oh, let me just read what that means. Uh, you, you're, not, you're not there to speak, you're just there to kind of fill the room, right? You're just there as a participant. You could observe and listen. I said, well, I'm a preacher. I don't go there to listen. I just go to preach, right? So, uh, I'm not going. No, it's okay. I could observe from my TV, right? Um, that's fine. 
But it's the idea of approaching to speak, that you have that kind of freedom. Draw near. It is used, um, that phrase is used seven times in the book of Hebrews. Some have said that that is the main thesis of Hebrews, that we can draw near to God. How important it is. Um, back in the day, one of my uh, favorite, my, not one of my, my favorite Christian uh, artists was Michael Card. It still is. I listen, listen to him here and there. And uh, back in uh, post-college and early seminary life, and I would go to all of his concerts. You know, like how some people treat BTS or Taylor Swift? That's how I thought of Michael Card back then, right? And so I would go to all his concerts, and I'd be like singing along, which is a, kind of a pet peeve, right? You go there to listen to the artist, not the amateur. You know, so when people sing along, you're like, let them sing anyways. But I would sing along. I knew all the songs. And, but he would tell the story. I've been to so many concerts that every concert, I said, oh, he's going to tell the story again. You know, I knew the story, what he was going to say. And he would tell the story about his father who was a pastor, who was a stern man, very difficult to approach. And Michael Carr would talk about that, and he says, I remember as a little kid trying to approach his father. And his father would always, after dinner, go into his office slash study, and he would close the doors, and he did not want to be bothered. He was doing work. And he says he remembers as a little kid, as a kindergarten age kid, he would stick his little fingers under the door and he would wiggle and try to get his dad's attention. And he would slide art and toys and things and come on, dad, come, let's play. And how his dad never opened the door. Um, And he would share that story. And maybe that has been our approach to certain people of significance, of power. Definitely for the readers of Hebrews that it was written to originally, when they think about approaching God, this was the fearful thing. You do it in the wrong manner, you can die. Tradition has it that the priests would go into the Holy of Holies, and uh, some traditions say that they tied a rope around him with bells, and they would listen for the bells to keep ringing. That means he's in there, he's moving, he's doing his duty. But if all of a sudden, if he dropped dead because of the wrong way he approached God, the bells would stop ringing and they would be able to drag him out, because if those who entered would die as well. So approaching God isn't easy, Uh, definitely not for the the, the, the readers of Hebrews. But for us, he now says, this is the good news, he is faithful, he has given us our Lord Jesus Christ, and we go, and when we pray in Jesus' name, it's saying, I am coming by his name. I'm making requests with his name. It's not me making the request. I'm making it through Jesus. And so we say in Jesus' name at the end um, to, in our prayers. And maybe approaching God is difficult for you. Maybe sometimes, man, when the worship is good and you've been in the word and you're like, I feel God's presence and you want to sing and you feel him. And maybe there's sometimes it is a You feel like a valley of dry bones as Ezekiel has that vision. You feel like you are just dead, no life. Regardless of how we feel, God is present. We are called now to approach him. There's Craig Keener who says this. He says, if we must feel, quote unquote, God's presence before we believe he is with us, we again reduce God to our own ability to grasp him, making him an idol instead of acknowledging as God. It's so well thought of. If I think, oh, I don't feel it today, 
It's my ability to now experience him. It's my ability to find uh, where is Waldo. If I can't find him, does it mean that he's not there? He says, you are making him into an idol if you do it in this way. It is C.S. Lewis who says, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And so we draw near to him. Us coming together as the people of God. When you read the scriptures, uh, God speaks to his people, plural, as one. The body of Christ, the, the people. As we come together, God speaks to us. Adults and children, mature, immature, educated, not as educated, whoever we are, God gives us the word and we come together and we hear this. We approach God, we draw near to him individually as well as we come in our feeble prayers, our weak prayers, our wandering mind as we try to pray often. And if you are like me, there's more failures than successes or triumphs in prayer. But yet he is there. And because of what God has done through Christ as our sacrifice, we can go to him. We can even open our mouths in front of him. We don't go there as an observer, as a listener only. We can talk to him. We can go to him. He is there. Now, the second let us we see is, because God is faithful, let us hold fast to hope. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Again, this is the reason. This is what we respond with. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And the word confession, it means saying the same things. We all say the same things. Confession. Uh, we come together as a church and we read the scriptures out loud. It's kind of our way of having a time of confession. We say it together in unison. Sometimes it's really smooth and we sound great. Sometimes... You know, it's, um, we, we're off pace, right? There's always the guy that's a little too fast, and there's always that gal that's a little too slow. Um, sometimes the presider miss, messes it up, whatever it is, right? But yet we have a time of confession. And the confession, he describes it as our hope. First person plural, that's our hope. Not just their hope, his hope, her hope. It's our hope. Hope is an underrated word. Hope is a beautiful word. Hope is a word that means something down the line. It means something will get better. It means that tomorrow will be better. It means that I can look forward to it and want to go there. It will never get worse. It will only get better. This is the confession of our hope. It's interesting, you know, in um, the Old Testament, Jeremiah, when he is speaking to God on behalf of the people. And this is what a, uh, a priest and a prophet would do, and he would speak to God. Um, he calls God this. So you see in verse 14, uh, chapter 14, 8, he calls God, he gives God this title, O you, hope of Israel. This is what God's name was to Jeremiah, O you, hope of Israel, the Savior in time of trouble. Names had a lot more meaning back then. Names often were to describe the destiny of a person or the role of an individual. And so when you would call out to God in different names, it meant 
that you believe certain things about God, that you are looking forward to him answering in a certain way. And he says, oh, you hope of Israel. And maybe we ought to pray in that way. Before we just start mumbling off into God and something more general, maybe we say, oh, you're my hope. Oh, God of my hope, I come to you today. God of my hope, can you help me in my despair? God of my hope, can you encourage me today? God of my hope, can you help me in my circumstances? Can you be with my parents during their difficulties? Oh, God of my hope, can you help me to see that tomorrow will be better? This is his title. This is how we go to him. Um, Being a Christian doesn't mean life is easy. Uh, Being together with people, you see all sorts of hard times and broken dreams and heartbreak and suffering from losses, um, certain that's beyond human capacity and capability to endure, but somehow I've seen that. Uh, We've witnessed that, and as a pastor, I get to see that up close, and yes, I've seen the people of God have hope to hold fast, to know that God is there, and even in the most difficult of times, we hold fast. It is G.K. Chesterton who describes hope in this way. He says, hope means hoping when things are hopeless, or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is a mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to become, to be a strength. We stand in hope. Let us continue the confession of hope. When we come together and we read the scriptures and we hear the words and we come and we pray, let us remember he is a God of hope. He who, who, who promised is faithful. So the God of the Old Testament that promised the Messiah to come, we've seen that happen. The one that came says he will now take us home and we will be with him. And he is with us here today. Uh, we see this hope being lived out. The third let us in this passage tells us, let us stir one another to love and good works. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the the faithfulness of God. The day is drawing near. We are getting closer to the Lord. Another year down uh, means that we're a year closer to the Lord. Uh, And let me encourage you. Today, with all the social media and YouTube and these quote-unquote preachers that tell you when God is coming, or they read the Bible with the newspaper and says, this means that, this means this, and they make obscure general predictions about when God is coming, nobody knows. All we do know is that we're a year closer to the day, and that is good news for the Christians. That is a homecoming for those who are sojourners here on earth. And so he says here, that is our hope. That is the faithfulness. The day is drawing near, but it's a good day. It's a happy day. But in the meanwhile, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another. How to stir up, it's kind of an interesting word. You don't use this word um, today, do you? Do you? Like with your friends. You know, you don't say, hey, Let's get in our, you know, we should get our community group together. I want to stir you up, right? Say, what? What does that mean, right? Uh, That word can be translated to to incite or stimulate. It's it's not just casually leaving someone alone. 
When you think of the word incite, what's the word that comes to mind? What do you incite? Incite a riot, right? We watch so much of that on TV or even in person. But usually there's an insider, right, of the riot. And every single time, the person that incites a riot is on top of a bus or a police car saying, let's go burn down this building. You know, let's go to, you know, let's go and protest. And people, now the followers, they, uh, they get pumped up and they start climbing on things and they start acting up. It's almost, it could be used in a negative way, but also in the positive way. It's the person that says, hey, let's go and do what is right. So what this passage here, this verse is not telling you, go and encourage someone, be nice to someone. Those are all good things. It can be biblical, but that's not what this verse is saying. It's saying you incite someone so that they will now start loving and that they will start doing good deeds. So you serving someone, you helping someone, you encouraging someone, those are all wonderful things and those are biblical. But this text is saying you push them, pull them, incite them, and make them do the right things. Make them serve the Lord. The aim of our lives is not just loving and doing good, but it is to help encourage others to do what they were called to do for the Lord. We have um, some of our like pastoral staff, man, just gentle-hearted. They love people. Um, and so when I ask them, go and ask someone to help, they're like, oh, man, I, they're busy, they're tired. I feel bad asking. Like, I, I say some of them are gentle. Because for me, I'm like, it doesn't matter. I don't care how busy they are. Like, let, let, tell them to go and, you know, help take down the canopies. Nobody likes taking down the canopies, right? Putting up the canopies is kind of cool, right? You're building something. Everyone in the sun's like, oh, he's putting up the canopy. That's so nice. I get to sit in the shade. But tearing it down, if you do it wrong, you pinch your finger, it hurts. If you get prideful, you try to do it by yourself, it is impossible, all right? And uh, you need someone to instruct you which lever to pull and what to push and whatever it is. We have to be the ones to continually push someone and say, let's go do something. So as the year has gone by, um, I think about examples of this. I remember at our graduation service, we had all of our preschoolers who were going to come up. This is kind of the highlight. These are the, the cutest, right? They're going to come up. And uh, we had a big class of them going to kindergarten. And we were in that little corridor with all these little cute ones. And I remember talking to our preschool teachers. They were saying to me, they were genuinely emotional. Now, these ladies who were overseeing them, none of those kids were related to them. But they were like, oh, my gosh, our babies are growing up. And, you know, I was like, they're not your babies. What are you talking about, right? Uh, but No, I, I was like, what? And they're like, oh, my gosh, our babies are growing up. They're going to go to kindergarten. These people who are teaching them cared for them. Like it was like they were theirs. And I, I remember looking and saying, wow, what a heart. Because I looked at our preschoolers as just kids that need to be taken care of, right, and looked after. But they looked at them with love. Our praise team today, they did a great job today. Um, they always do. As a pastor, I have a lot of friends who are pastors on Facebook and I can't help in my sinful nature try to compare. 
And I always feel good. Oh my gosh, our praise team is so much better. Like, our sound guys are so much better. Um, and in my real prideful times, oh, our preaching was so much better, right? Like, whatever. But our praise team is so good. Dragging 40, 50 pounds of instruments out of the car. Coming up early Sunday to spend all of their attention and energy to go and serve others. The pressure of it, that it is now on YouTube forever, right? Um, and to go and serve in this way. At the end of the day, to literally be pooped and tired and say, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. Uh, just, I'm just so encouraged, I see that. Makes me want to worship more. I was like, they're practicing, I want to worship more. I, I look at our youth group staff. I jokingly said to John and Tricia today, and I said, oh, you guys have such an important job. Joke, not that part wasn't the joke, all right? So the joke was, uh, the joke was I said to them, and I said to Tricia, I was like, you make these useless young people, they become useful after, after, through youth group ministry. Right? Up till then, they're cute, valuable. I'll, I'll agree with that. Adorable, cute, valuable, uh, all of that, but Useful? Uh, not that useful, right? Um, but man, they get into youth group and all of a sudden they become useful. And I say, oh, you're doing such a good work. I don't, somehow that I have no worry because people are going to go. People that love them are going up to retreat. People that love them are spending their Fridays with them, their Sundays with them. They're sitting with them. And they're becoming useful in this. Countless gatherings that we've had where community group leaders on a tiring week at the end of it get a group together. Some who don't reply to their emails and then might show up or might not and they get together and try to start a discussion and they throw out a question sometimes and no one's answering and they're going through that. And yet at the end of it, everyone says, I'm so glad I was here because someone incited love and good works. And as we get together in this way, we see more of this. You know, it says here, so verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as some in the habit, uh, a habit of some, but encouraging one another. So encouraging here, parakaleo, to call aside. Uh, in Greek history, they talked about this as used as a military word. That when a soldier is scared or a soldier is lost, they would send someone to go and walk beside them to encourage them. And not to just say, give me all your stuff. You go sit down. I'll go fight for you. No, they said, get up, get up, get up. Take up your shield. Take up your sword. Okay, get up. All right, this is your station. All right, let's go do this again. And this is what they did. This is what we are called to do for one another. There was a study done at UCLA in their social science uh, uh, one of their professors, Daniel Fessler, he did a, a study years back about the impact of just seeing someone do something good. That 8,000 participants, and half they watched a video called The Unsung Hero. And the other half watched another video of some guy who was athletic and did stunts by himself. So the first group saw a video of someone named The Unsung Hero. He would go and help people in need. He would be generous with his money and time, and he would go out to those in the streets, and he would help them. And it was a short video they would watch. 
The other half would watch a video of a guy who could do handstands and climb walls and rocks, and he, he did a lot of good physical things that was pretty entertaining, and that was it. And at the end of the video, they were all handed an envelope for their work. And then as they were leaving, there was a donation box for the UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital. And they say, oh, on your, here, everyone, thank you for your time. They give money. He goes, by the way, if you like to give, you can give in this way. And obviously, this was now the part of the study. And those who watched, just watching a video of someone doing good, it stimulated them. It incited in them something to go and do something. And they gave 25% more than those who didn't watch. Now imagine in your life, as you are serving, and as you are doing what is good, and as you are encouraging, and you go to someone and say, hey, it's good to see you at church. Hey, you know, hey, are you serving? Are you giving? Hey, how's it going? Hey, are you forgiving that person? And you are going, and you're telling them to do the right things. And they see you trying your best to do this. This will become the strength and the beauty of the church. I want to encourage us. I want to ask us to commit to the truth that God is with us in Christ and that we would now respond in the correct way. God willing, this upcoming year, let me encourage us. Let me encourage you. Draw near to him. Come in here This is and sing and pray and draw near to him. Hear his word. Let me encourage you this upcoming year to hold fast. When things are going bad or things are going south, turning south, hold fast to the hope that you have. It will always get better. And thirdly, let me encourage you to stir one another. See a brother struggling, let me encourage you to walk alongside them. Say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, you know, this is what we ought to be doing. Hey. And live this way because the one who promised, the one who made the promise in the beginning of the Bible, the one who made a promise to you when you decided to follow him, he is faithful. And so we have a full assurance of faith and we follow after him. What a response to a God who is faithful. Uh, let's, let's pray together, could we? Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to us. So, Lord, we put our trust in you. God, we want to draw near to you. What a privilege that is. Lord God, we want to continue to hold on to the hope that we have. Lord God, what a joy and source of strength that truth is. And God, we want to gather it together as your people. We want to, Lord, encourage one another to live for you. There's no better way to live than to live all out for you. How foolish, how sad would it be for us to withhold that? And so God, would you uh, be with us in that you have been so faithful to us and we hold on to you, God. You have answered our prayers and you have heard us. You have been with us. In the valleys, Lord God, you've been closer to us. In the peaks, Lord God, you've lifted us so we can see and enjoy. But it's all you. So our lives are here for you. So we thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.